Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Graduation Sunday, so we're starting a new series uh, that's built for graduates, but it's really kind of built for us as well. Um, we're hoping that the scripture would shed more light on our lives and enable us to see clearly. We are hoping the scripture sheds light um, on living and how to live. Uh, A lot of times philosophers ask, what is the good life? How to have happiness? And, uh, you know, the scripture has these answers for us. So today as we start this new series on Elijah, this series can give us insight into how to live for God in such a way that it makes a difference in the world. You know, a lot of times uh, graduates, they hear a similar speech at every single uh, graduation. Uh, The speech goes something like this. We want you to graduate, be positive, positive. make a difference in the world, and go out there and go get them. That's kind of like the theme of every graduation speech. And I got to tell you, um, if you don't have a secure, firm foundation in Christ, you won't be able to go be positive and make a difference and go get them in the world. It has to be built on something solid and eternal for you to make a difference. The story of Elijah is not just for our graduates, but it's built directly for our graduates, and it's built for all of us, can help secure our foundation of life to actually go make a real difference in the world. And that's where we're going to start today. Um, So if you want to turn to Elijah chapter 17, that's where we're going to spend our time today. Elijah 17, I'll give us a little bit of um, introduction for it. Uh, This is, is, as I said before, It is for graduates, but it's not only for graduates. It's for any Christ follower. And uh, specifically, my son graduated uh, this past week. I'm so proud of him. Uh, My wife and I are so proud of him. He's so smart. He's got such great potential. Um, Thursday, he got to walk the line for Laurel Oaks. And uh, my wife and I took him out to lunch Friday, and we were so proud of him. We are just over the moon, and we're looking at him at lunch. This is a picture from lunch. And we realize that his shirt is inside out. (laughs) Oh, I had to do that. (laughs) I tear up. Proud of him. Got such great potential. But even he needs to know that our foundation must be based on the Lord for us to make a difference in life. In Elijah 17, I'm going to read the entire chapter Just hang with me all the way through it, and we'll break it down on how it does make a difference in our life. Oh, 1 Kings. I got Elijah on the brain. Thanks, John. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. That's where the story of Elijah takes place. We don't know anything about Elijah before this this instant. He all of a sudden, boom, appears on the scene. God uses the prophets in 1 and 2 Kings, the two books in the uh, kind of uh, toward the front side of our Bible, he uses the prophets to give a warning and judgment to the kings who are doing evil. A little bit of history that's going on. Um, Israel was ruled by King David and then his son Solomon, and there was never a perfect king. They, every time Israel got a king, they thought, oh, this is going to be the king that's going to lead us for, you know, all the time, and every king fails. But um, some kings did worse than others. And after Solomon, his children split the kingdom. And they became a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. Israel's capital was Samaria, and Judah's capital was Jerusalem. 
And uh, they both had separate kings after that point. And all of the kings of Israel, it says in the Scripture, did evil in the sight of the Lord, especially King Ahab, we were going to look at today, just for a brief minute. In the southern kingdom, they had uh, several kings. Um, none of them were great, but they had a couple that tried to return to worshiping God. And so what would happen in Israel, and this is where we're going to pick up with Elijah today in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, the kings would do something terrible. They would build an altar to a fake God. They would try to move all the people to worship this false God. And then God would send a prophet. And the prophet would warn them and give judgment and give them an opportunity to turn their life around. And this is where we meet Elijah. First Kings chapter 17. King Ahab, it says in 16, did more evil than any other king before him. He married a prophetess of Baal, Jezebel, and Jezebel brought her Baal worship into Israel, and Ahab took it on. Um, the Canaanite god Baal was a god of thunder and lightning and rain and also fertility because when he sent the rain, he would cause the crops to grow. Uh, an idol of Baal would kind of look like a, a picture of Baal would kind of look like a man with a bull's head holding a lightning bolt. Now, uh, in this interesting little uh, uh, gods and goddesses. His mother's name was Asherah, and it was also his mistress. His mom was also his mistress, and she was a goddess of fertility, a sex goddess. So how you worship Baal was through sacrifice, sacrifices of animals, and how you worship Asherah was through uh, uh, practices for, well, anyway, sexual practices. because she was. And so this together was the god that Ahab and Jezebel was leading all Israel to worship. Ahab set up an altar and a temple to Baal in Samaria, the capital of Israel, and he was leading the people to worship. So now we have Elijah showing up to say, hey, we got to stop this. And this is, I'm going to read chapter 17, then we'll break it down. Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, notice he's in Israel, talking to king of Israel, Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as Yahweh, your God lives, she replied. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day Yahweh sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of Yahweh spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. 
She said to Elijah, what, if you, what do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on, the, on his bed. Then he cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to Yahweh, Yahweh, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Yahweh heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said Elijah to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of Yahweh from your mouth is truth. Now, when I first read this, it's like just a, stories that are strung together. How could it possibly affect our graduates to enable them to live life well? And what difference does it make to us what happened thousands of years ago with the prophet Elijah in this weird little area of Israel and then Canaan? And I got to tell you, it is through the thematic actions of God that it makes a huge difference in our lives. The thematic actions of God enable us to live for him in ways otherwise we wouldn't. The thematic actions of God in these stories, if you can stay with me in these themes, these thematic actions, God does the same thing, but he never does the same thing twice. Over and over again, he has these themes that play out in how he reveals himself to us. And there are three in this story that I want to point out. God lives, God provides, and God reigns. He rules. God lives, God provides, and God reigns. Ahab was worshiping Baal, the god of rain. Baal was, is kind of a puny god. Now, uh, when, when Israel moved into the promised land, Canaan, Baal was the god of the land. And it was kind of like Israel moved in and they were traveling in the wilderness. Um, you, you, now we need to think of Moses and Joshua. And as they're moving in, their God, Yahweh, was a God of nomads. And now they're in a land with fertile land where they have to learn to plant. And all the people of Canaan said, well, if you're going to have good crops, you need to worship Baal, who's God over the crops. And they kind of took that on. God said, when you get into this land, don't worship those other gods. And so this God, Baal, became this idol, this false god of worship. And maybe this kind of makes sense. Sometimes when you go into a new place, you kind of take on the culture around you if you're not careful to your detriment. Whatever people are doing, how they're dressing, how they're talking, that kind of becomes how you dress and how you talk. And yet God says to us and commands us, don't take on the culture, remain faithful. And Ahab took on the culture he let all of Israel take on the culture. And this God of rain who would send rain. Now, I'll tell you why he's kind of puny. Because every once in a while there would be a drought in Israel or a drought in Canaan. And the people said, well, there's another God, the death God, Mot. And sometimes Baal, he has to bend his knee to death. And they have a little fight. Baal kind of always wins. But that's usually why there's no rain is because Baal is subject to death. Mot. And then he succeeds and we have rain again. But that happens every once in a while. And here Elijah steps onto the scene. Elijah means, his name has a meaning. Elijah means Yahweh is God. Imagine going into your job interview, graduates, and you get to shake hands across the desk and they say, hey, my name's Dale. And you say, my name is Jesus is Lord. And they're like, well, wait, 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 wait a second. What? 
we know, okay, we heard of Jesus. No, Jesus is Lord. That's my name. That is how Elijah shows up on the scene. Not Baal is God. Yahweh is God. The God of Israel is God. If you were to translate his name in verse 1 of 17, now Yahweh is God, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as Yahweh, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. God lives. This is a thematic action of God that he proves himself over and over and over again that he is a true God, he is an involved God, he is active in our lives, and he is a true living God, not like a fake puny God that has to bend their knee to other gods, that has to battle for control. No, God lives. He is God. And all of a sudden, Baal is deemed impotent and cannot send lightning or thunder or or, or rain. He can do nothing because God has declared it will not rain. Now, the reason why this is a thematic action is because this kind of display of God's power has happened previous in the story of Israel. In fact, it happens over and over again. But the big thing we're supposed to be drawn to, our minds are supposed to go to, is the Exodus, where Israel was slaves in Egypt. Now, you got to think about you know, Moses, you got to think about Joshua, you got to think about the, the Ten Commandments, you got to think about the parting of the Red Sea, you got to think about the Ten Plagues. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he said, Let our people go so that we may go worship the true God, Yahweh. And Pharaoh responds, I don't know a God named Yahweh. You may not go anywhere. Pharaoh says, we got gods of the Nile, we got gods of our crops, we got gods of rain and thunder, we got gods of the animals. I don't know a Yahweh. And so God shows him who he is. And every plague attacks a different Egyptian god, showing that God rules over what they have given credit to a lesser god. Now, these could be fake gods, totally unreal, imagined or they could be demons that have rebelled against God that display some sort of spiritual, supernatural power that gets people to worship them. I lean toward the demon side, and yet when God shows up and he says, I live, the other gods are like dead. They can't do anything in his presence he doesn't allow them to do. And so the theme of God is he continually shows up in power, revealing that he is the true God who created all other spiritual beings, who created all other creation. He lives. This is a theme that comes over and over again. And I want you to check this theme out. When he shows up and he says he lives, he also gives the grace of a warning. For Pharaoh, the plague would come and Pharaoh would repent and say, Moses, you're right, I'm sorry, Yahweh rules, would you take away the plague? And God was gracious enough to remove the plague and Pharaoh hardened his heart again so that he wouldn't let the people go. And I truly believe that if Ahab had heard the warning from Elijah the prophet and had repented of his sin, God would have relented and allowed them to have rain. This is a theme that happens over and over and over again. And if you would allow it, the word of God serves as our warning today to turn to him, continually turn to him, and don't go off to other gods. Graduates, you got the same pressure that every person in this room has. You're going to go and you're going to be tempted to worship other gods. And they won't be so clear as to be little golden statues to bow down to. They will be gods of freedom and happiness and identity. 
We so desire to be free and happy, we won't let anybody stand in our way or bump up against us to not allow us to be happy. That has become our idol. And I guarantee you, I know this from experience and I know this from evidence around me, if I chase happiness, I will be more lonely and depressed than I've ever been. If I chase freedom or unhappiness, it becomes my idol and I become enslaved to it. I become enslaved to an ideology or to an object and I will not be happy, I will not be satisfied and my life will experience drought like never before. There's a warning here to us. God lives. If you would allow it, this theme repeats. In John chapter 1, Way over at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there was a prophet that appeared on the scene. His name is John. Let me read John chapter 1 for you so you can see what it says. Sorry, I didn't have it bookmarked. That page won't turn. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born of not, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace. Jesus arrived. This is the same theme, this is the same theme of 1 Kings chapter 17, when the prophet shows up and he gives the warning God lives. The prophet shows up in John and he says, Jesus, God with us, has arrived. God lives and he's now with you. And if we would allow him, he can also live and rule over our own lives. He will give us that deep satisfaction that eludes us with every other endeavor we pursue. I guarantee graduates, I guarantee Christians in this room, if you pursue any other thing with the intensity you're supposed to pursue God with, you will never find the deep satisfaction for your soul. Because God lives. He's a true God. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. This is the second way God does a thematic action in the life of Elijah that he also can do in our own. The word of the Lord came to Elijah now, when Lord in your scripture is all capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that stands for the name of God, Yahweh. All other times where it mentions God or Lord, and it's capital G or capital L, but lowercase after that, it's a different name for God, and it could just be like the, uh, a generic name for God. But here's the specific name, Yahweh, because the author of 1 Kings is making a point. Baal is not God, Yahweh is God. Then the word of Yahweh came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. 
The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and the meat in the evening, and he drank from the book. Brooke, our God provides. This is a theme that he does over and over and over again. This is, again, having our minds go back to Israel escaping the slavery of Egypt. And God is doing the same thing, but he's not doing it the same way. So Israel leaves Egypt They go through the parted Red Sea. They go into the wilderness, and God provides them in the wilderness manna from heaven, the bread of angels. He provides them meat, quail that lands in their camp so that they can eat, and he provides them water in the desert. God provides them bread and meat and water. And if you go back and you look at the story of Israel, as they travel in the wilderness, God keeps providing them bread, meat, and water, and they complain, and they grumble, and they rebel, and they disobey God over and over and over again, and God provides them the grace over and over again they need. Bread, meat, and water. But notice here in Elijah, he doesn't grumble or complain, he just obeys, and God provides and God doesn't just provide one time, because the Israelites in the desert, they ate, they got bread one time a day. But here Elijah gets twice. There is a blessing that comes from being obedient to the Lord. And God really does provide. And he gives grace to everybody. Those outside of God and those inside of God, he will give grace. The rain falls on those who are evil and those who are good. God gives sunshine to the farmers who are evil and against God and to the farmers that are good and for God. He gives grace, but here it's not the, Israel, the Egyptians that are being judged and experience the consequence of their actions. It is Israel experiencing the consequence of the actions. And all of Israel is suffering the drought the same as all of Canaan where Baal rules. And Elijah is in Israel, and he's in the wilderness near Israel, and the drought is covering everywhere, and God is providing for him. And if you would, if you would allow it, God will provide for us today. We have to have our minds wrap around this. God does the same thing over and over again, but he never does it the same way. If you're willing, Jesus is our bread that sustains us. If you're willing, the Word of God is the meat we need to grow and have strength. And if you're willing, the water is the Holy Spirit that God promises that will well up within us and overflow out of us everywhere we go where we can actually bring life to others through His power. Jesus, as He was talking with His people, He said, I am the manna, the bread from heaven God provides for you. When he met with his disciples, he said, take and eat. This is my body. If you are willing, Jesus is your bread, and he can come to you daily, night and day, every day, to give you sustenance. He will actually sustain you if you rely on him. And the word of God is our meat. We don't settle for just little elementary teachings. We continue to grow. If you're willing to allow it, you continue to grow with the meat of the word. And the water will not only refresh you, the Holy Spirit will not only refresh you, it will empower you to live, to understand it, and then to live it out. This week I met with one of our church members, and on one hand I was so excited for the question she asked, and on the other hand I was so disappointed in the question she asked, because she said, I've got so many questions about the Bible. On the one hand, there's a great humility to admit that we don't know it all, and that we need to know more. And on the other hand, what have we done as a church where we haven't taught one of our own members how to study this word for herself? 
to be able to search out and seek out the answers she was looking for. Some of the answers, she, some of the questions she asked, they were complicated. They're, they were kind of difficult. And some of them were just elementary. If you don't get anything else from this message today, would you learn how to study this? I'm going to give you the ways to study this where it can make a difference in your life. I can read this and it makes no difference to me whatsoever. I can read this and it goes one in, <laughs> out one eye and out the other. I can read this and it won't make a difference to my soul or affect the way I live, or I can read it so it does change me. Here's how God says it changes us. He says, the man of God who meditates on this word is like a tree planted by streams of water who bears fruit in season and whose leaf never withers. The tree planted by water is sucking up nutrients the whole time, and it doesn't just spit out water. As it sucks up nutrients, it grows and matures and, and bears fruit. It doesn't bear fruit all the time. It bears fruit in season. But the tree never withers because it's always connected to the source. The Word of God is our source so that we may bear fruit. Here's how you connect to it. You have to read it. And when... Psalm 1 says, you need to, the man of God meditates day and night. It doesn't necessarily mean morning and evening, although that's a good routine. What it means is a disciplined, daily, active intake of the Word. I don't do as well in the mornings. I do much better in the evenings. For some reason, I am more aware, more awake in the evenings. I don't know where your time is where you are most awake but we need to daily have an intake of the Word. And then when we read it, we need to memorize it a little bit because we need to meditate on it. Meditation is this, is this interesting thing, the way our brain works, that we can think about something over and over and over again. That's meditation. If you put the wrong thing in there, that's called fear and worry. Anybody ever use their meditation machine for fear and worry? And as you meditate over that fear and worry, that wrong thing, it continues to snowball into something worse and worse until all of a sudden you're imagining the worst things that could happen and you're living in fear. Anybody ever done that? Only me. Okay. Bunch of liars. Our meditation machine is supposed to have Scripture inserted into it, and then we're supposed to reflect on that over and over and over again, and it will snowball. It snowballs into sustaining us and feeding us and changing us, transforming us. Read the Word, memorize the Word, and then reflect on it until it changes our emotions. Reflect on it until it transforms our affections. You can read it and make a mental agreement with the Word, and it not have any effect on you. But if you meditate on it and you, you think about, how can I apply this in my life? How can I apply this in my family? How can, I, how can I live this out? As you reflect on it, meditate on it, all of a sudden it stirs your emotions toward God and toward obedience, and all of a sudden it has brought transformation in your life. If you are willing, this action of God, of him providing, he is still providing today if we would just obey and eat it. If you don't get anything else out of this, graduates, if you don't get anything else out of this church, would you learn to meditate on this word so it can change you from the inside out? You want to make a difference in life. I get it. We all should be but not because we just graduated high school or not because we have 40 or 50 or 60 years of life experience, but because God lives and he provides. That's how we make a difference. We start living it out. 
And finally, God reigns. Elijah is sent to Sidon, the very heart of Baal worship. And now we have to ask the question, who is God? In Israel, we understand Yahweh is God of Israel. And so when he says no rain in Israel, we understand he's the God of that region. But when Elijah moves from the Israel region into the Canaan region, is Yahweh still God or is it Baal whom they worship? There's a drought happening in both places. Is God God there? Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She accuses Elijah and she accuses his God, Yahweh. She accuses my God. Is it because I've sinned that you've killed my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him in his bed, and he cried out to Yahweh. Yahweh, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to Yahweh. I don't know why he stretches him out three times. I don't know why he stretches himself out on the boy three times. I don't understand that. Nobody else does either. The point is that God hears his prayer. The Lord, Yahweh, heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Our God reigns. Our God rules over both life and death. It's not just that he rules over creation. It's not just that he rules over every other little deity that ever existed or ever exists. It's not just that he rules over the sky and the rain and the crops It's that he rules over life and death too. He does not submit his knee to the god Mot and have to take a break and battle it out to determine who lives and who dies. This is a thematic action of God that happens again and again and again. If we go back and we focus in on the story of Israel leaving Egypt, God is God over life. And the punishment for Pharaoh rejecting God and hardening his heart was the death of the firstborn. Here, God is revealing that he is God over death, and death could not hold on to anything God doesn't allow it, and he brings this son back to life. Jesus was given the power over life and death. He had the power to lay down his life and then take it up again. Our God lives, our God provides, and our God reigns. Our God rules. When we start living this out, when we start living out the fact that God rules, there isn't anything anybody can do to us. We can go live for him regardless of what circumstances happen. If they kill us, God is a God of life. We will not experience death, but we will be transported into a new body face-to-face with Jesus, and we will experience more of God. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And if they leave us alone, we get to continue to live out for him, telling everybody that our God lives, our God provides, our God rules, our God reigns. And he does it through Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus Christ, his son, gave his life for us. He died in our place. So everywhere we have rebelled against him and gone after our own little idols, he took that into his body on the cross, and he laid down his life sacrificially so that we could live. To prove it was all true, and he was big enough to take the sin of everybody in the world, Jesus took his life back up, and he lives. Jesus still provides, and Jesus still reigns. And he has given us a ceremony 
to remind us that he lives, he provides, and he reigns called communion. Would you take out your communion? If you're willing, Jesus is the bread that sustains us. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He said, every time you participate in the bread, you are actually participating in his body. You're reminded that he lives, even though we're remembering his death. Would you participate in the bread? And would you take out the cup? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out in his blood. Where we are faithless, he is faithful. The cup reminds us that he never sinned. He always obeyed. And even in the wilderness, he obeyed. And even into death, he obeyed. He says, when you participate in this cup, you are participating in his blood. Would you allow this reminder to remind you of your forgiveness of sins and the new life that you have in him. Would you participate in the cup? And if you're willing, communion is just a part of how God continues to sustain us. We want to help you take your next best step. If you would like more information about how to do that, visit us online at wcconline.org and fill out a Connect card. If this message has inspired you, be sure to share it with a friend and don't forget to keep up with us on social media. Thanks again for joining.